Hello and welcome to the Leaders' Council podcast, the podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. You join us on another bright day in a rather deserted city of Westminster in these current times, as once again we put the topic of leadership under the spotlight. I am your host, Scott Challoner, and I'm joined on today's programme by Mark Law. Mark is the Managing Director of Wilson Cook Limited, a digital marketing and advertising agency based in Manchester. Mark, welcome to the programme. And it's great to have you on the air with us today. Great, thank you very much for having me. Looking forward to it. Thanks ever so much, Marco, for taking the time to come on. It's certainly a uh, lovely day for it, for sure. And um, the purpose of this discussion really is to understand your take on leadership. So if we dive straight in and look at that word leader in isolation just for a moment, what does that word actually mean to you? For me, there's the, a large aspect of that is inspiration. Um, uh, the inspiration that you provide to the people around you, whether that's within business, outside of business, um, and alongside the kind of direction alignment, and, and alignment's quite an important word when it comes to um, trying to drive anything forward. Um, I say whether it's a business, whether it's a team, um, in whatever format you're looking at, to provide that alignment and that, di- that direction that you are taking um, a, a group of people on the journey going on the or ultimate the the end goal for that really you've got to be driving towards something you've got to be, and the team's got to be aligned towards what that that goal is and that end goal comes from and the leader is the one that really needs to be on providing that you raise a very important point there mark the need as a leader to be able to take people with you and in order to do that that takes a degree of people management doesn't it specifically so when it comes to letting people know that you are safeguarding their interests as a leader, because if you do that and try and get onto a little bit of an equal footing with them, show some real humility as a leader, that's a surefire way to get people to really buy into the wider vision, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. Um, and you talk about understanding their side and empathy is a, is a massive word. Um, and it's, it's well, more than a word, the meaning that comes from that and, and what a leader needs to show is you, you really have to understand that the, the, the person and, and uh, the feeling that they've got and where they are in, in, in whatever journey they're looking at and also what's going on within their lives. So being empathetic as a leader is massively important because everybody's situation is very different uh, and even what we're going through now is a, is a prime example of why empathy is so important mm. because everybody's everybody's situation is different. There might be elements of similarity, but the, everything's relative to them um, and one person's one one thing that you think might isn't that much of a big deal could be could be the most important thing to them. So to be able to provide the empathy to be flexible flexible within that um, and really understand the people that it is that you're talking to and what what makes them tick, um, how they respond to different levels of communication, um, and ultimately what they're what they're striving to achieve as well as as well as what you're potentially trying to achieve as a business or as an individual is trying to align these two parts together is really important because that's how you really get people on on board the, the journey that you're on and excited by that journey. Mm. Adaptability in that sense is incredibly important, isn't it? Adaptability on the first term hand of your leadership style to ensure in any walk of life, really, never mind in, during a pandemic, that you can actually, of course, f- alter your style, if you will, just to match with different personalities and be able to manage those people effectively because no one approach, as you say, is going to work for everyone. Adaptability, as we've said there, massive word in the current climate, of course, with COVID-19. Businesses, of course, had to adapt to changing guidelines, changing circumstances, changing ways of operating. But also, it's been a huge change at the people level, as you've rightly said there, Mark. Um, How has it been for you in that sense, um, 
keeping the communication channels open and trying to sort of provide almost that reassurance that I'm sure a lot of people will have been looking for during this time. Because I can imagine there's been a lot of pressure to provide that when there's been so much uncertainty. Yeah, absolutely. And it is it is unprecedented times, but also you draw on what you've tried to develop. And, and so from my perspective, what we've tried to build as a business is, is the flexibility and the agility that we need. Um, as an agency, you need that anyway. And as a leader, you need that. You might have said there, we've got, you already have to have that because um, generational changes, um, and you have to adapt your leadership to that. Um, what younger people now come into work workplace um, strive for is wildly different um, than what would have been the case five years, even five years ago, and, um, and even more so 10 years ago. So, uh, Everybody wants something a little bit different. So you, all, you always have to be in the, as flexible as possible to be able to adapt to that. And the other thing that we've been able to do, which is quite beneficial, is we were structured to be um, flexible, but also structured to be able to work remotely and, and, and be less tied to our office. It's something that I implemented three or four years ago, really, was our journey to make us not office dependent. And I think that's something that a lot of people now, a lot of businesses are either ready for this or, or, or really being forced to be ready for this. And it'll, I think it will largely change um, the workplace in the future uh, and for a good, in a good way, in my perspective anyway. Um, my personal opinion is that the old way of nine to five and I'd go five and working in an office during those set times has always been relatively archaic um, anyway. So now it's really pushing forward that flexibility of where people can work um, and mm. then what we've also been able to do is then use that technology, use that technology to stay connected. Um, so whether that's with our morning morning checking calls, or every Friday we'll have a we'll have a quiz over over Hangouts, and then we'll even the even individuals that are are in the situation with us that are furloughed, we were still checking with everybody every every couple of weeks, we'll have a team call every two weeks um, as a collective group, update everybody to 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 let them know where we are as a business, how things are progressing. Um, and obviously, but always being connected. Um, so whether it is, whether it's email, or whether it's Slack, or whether it's um, any other method that we've got available to us, really, to allow individuals, whether they are still working or they are they are furloughed, they're still connected to the business. It's still, I mean, that's really important. It's been really important through this is not to forget about the people that are maybe um, not working, but also not forget about the people that are working. It's equally as hard for everybody that is that is still within the business that potentially had to pick up. The slack to a certain extent, and, mm. and making sure that you're kind of aware of people's mental well-being through that, and how they're handling it, and just knowing that communication is really important, and can never really over-communicate. Um, so it's about giving people as much information as you can, but also being honest and truthful through that as well. In the sense that everybody knows it's a it's an unprecedented and difficult time. It's just really about keeping that level of keeping that line of communication open, and, and making sure that everybody knows that it's 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 a two-way street. It's open. But the other way as well, if they need anything, um, whether that's their set up at home, whether that's anything they're going through, then you're always there for them, really, and just mm. make sure everybody's. And the big thing during this has been about making sure that everybody and all their families are safe, and that's obviously been um, massively important through this. Is that the safety of, of individuals is the number one priority, and, mm. and fundamentally, work 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 follows that. 
Exactly right. Um, it's really forced the hand of business to innovate where it hasn't done before this period. And there are, as you say, going to be some real positives coming out of this, not just in the sense that business is modernising and adapting and is going to be more resilient coming out of this, but also the fact that there's a heightened focus on well-being and people, as you rightly said there, Mark, and we're hopefully going to carry that forward throughout this situation. We've talked an awful lot about your leadership style throughout this period, and I'm sure it's been the case uh, prior to the pandemic as well, that you are a great communicator within the uh, the business world. Um, could you tell me perhaps, Mark, uh, maybe some of the influences behind that way of doing things that you've developed? Yeah, I mean, um, there's um, one of the big things, I mean, you're always an adapter as a leader, and this is another, another situation where you're in a, a new situation. I think what I've always been able to do and something that I've always been um, an advocate of is that, that resilience to a certain extent and, and, and everybody having a little bit of resilience is, is, a, is a good thing and this will help not just businesses but also individuals within businesses develop that resilience but also that ability to react to change um, and I think that's massively, massively important. I've always been an advocate of that. I've always tried to make sure that I continue trying to to reimagine myself I guess to a certain extent and certainly reimagine our business so we're always trying to stay ahead um, and within that there's there's the self-development that goes into it. Um, so I've always always tried to develop myself and understand who I am. Um, so the emotional intelligence that goes into understanding who you are, where your strengths lie, where your weaknesses lie, um, and, and embracing that to a certain extent. Um, and what I t- then try to do is is be authentic. I Through my kind of journey with um, something within Wilson Cook, um, I've learned a lot about myself through through how to lead and how not to um, and everybody makes mistakes and I've made a ton of them and will continue to make them going forward it's, but what one area that I did find is I went for a period where I tried to be the leader that I thought you should be so you look at um, look at inspirational leaders out there you read books and everything and you think right, well that's the leader I want to be so I'm going to try and mimic that and what you ultimately find is that's often a mistake what I instead try to do is take inspiration from different leaders or from different areas um, and also from the kind of courses and leadership training that I've been on and, and understand the authentic leader. And that's the big thing that I was able to really develop over the last number of years is just to be yourself. Um, and people just want to know the person. Um, and the same that you're trying to understand them as a person, it's also trying to make sure that they are, they're allowed, they can understand you um, and try not to be someone, somebody that you're not. Um, so the authenticity uh, as an individual and as a leader it's probably been the one thing that I've kind of really developed and learned over the last number of years more than anything else um, to be more effective because then you're not trying to be someone you're not. Um, mm. You're not trying to, to, to position yourself based on the perception of, of what good leadership is as opposed to just take the learnings but also just be yourself um, and show the person behind the leader. And that's really important. You don't have to be stand-offish. Mm. You don't have to You don't have to have anything else going on, really. You can, just, you can show vulnerability and... Um, and and that's that's really important to get people to to kind of get behind you and move forward as a team. Yes, absolutely. That authenticity is uh, massive, and for any. Um, individuals of the younger generation in particular who are tuning into this and listening to that I think that is incredibly sound advice indeed. Speaking of future generations Mark or rather the future and the longer term if we think about what the next year and beyond will hold for yourself and for Wilson Cook Limited as we move through this pandemic and hopefully beyond it to better times what do you hope to really achieve during that period? It's a really really exciting time for us Um, we are 
we are at a point where, as a business, we are structured to really be able to go on, on an aggressive growth strategy, and that's what ultimately I'm looking to take. As I know, certainly over the next really three to five years, then mind the one. So in the next the next twelve to eighteen months, I suppose it's how we're able to to capitalise on the opportunities that come out, that come from this. Obviously, there's a, there's elements of uncertainty. I want us to be ready to kind of pounce on that uncertainty to a certain extent. Really strong on what it is that we're going to offer. How we're going to position ourselves. Make a an investment in our team. That's, that's the big thing as well. Is is being there to bring in the talent that's going to be available. So I suspect that off the back of this, there's going to be there's going to be talent there to be had, um, and and same from people that are different age ranges that come from that. Really, so it's about making it's about making Wilson Cook the the agency where where people want to go and work for us um, in and around Manchester, um, and that real kind of investment in in our team and our environment um, that allows us to go and, and really kind of explode out of this um, and, and grow at a, at a rapid rate, really. And that's the exciting thing for me. I'm not looking at this as a, in a defensive way. I'm looking really very much in the attacking sense of how do we really go um, move forward um, and, and take the opportunities that are going to be available. Mm. It certainly seems like exciting uh, times, uh, Mark, and the business has certainly um, been innovative um, in previous years, hence why, of course, it's adapted uh, so well, as you say, to the uh, the current situation with remote working. And I think as we start to understand what the new normal is really going to look like, I think it would actually be fantastic, given how informative it's been today, to actually have you back on the programme and just discuss how things um, are doing and maybe get an update on um, affairs at Wilson Cook, for sure. Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah, I would love to come back. Yeah, I'd love to... Uh... Yeah, I'd love to talk to you It would be wonderful, Mark. Um, I could certainly uh, speak about it um, all afternoon, but unfortunately we are just about out of time today. But I have to say it's been a real pleasure having you on the programme and, as I say, a really informative and exciting experience as well. And do take care and do stay safe with everything still going on um, in the meantime. Yeah, thank you very much. Yeah, it's been great. Um, really enjoyed it. And yeah, um, stay safe to everyone really and hopefully we'll all, we'll all come out of this stronger. Hopefully so. That was Mark Law, Managing Director of Wilson Cook Limited. Coming up next on the programme today, I'll be handing over to Jonathan White for his exclusive interview with England's 1966 Football World Cup hero, Sir Jeff Hurst. During his professional football career, Sir Jeff scored over 200 league goals for the likes of West Ham United and Stoke City. But most notably, he remains the only man to this day to have scored a hat-trick in the final of a World Cup competition, following his treble in England's 4-2 win over West Germany at the old Wembley Stadium 54 long years ago now. I hope you enjoy listening just as much as Jonathan enjoyed speaking with Sir Jeff, and that's coming up next uh, we're now joined uh, though by former England footballer and still the only man to score a hat-trick in a World Cup final Sir Jeff Hurst uh, thank you very much for coming on today uh, you're welcome you're welcome good afternoon uh, and perhaps I should uh, start and get it over and done with I know you must be bored with it and uh, you've probably been asked a thousand times but when you got out for a duck playing for Essex uh, Jeff what was going through your head at the time <laughs> Well, of course, that's not one of the most asked questions I get. Although there are one or two people who are very familiar um, uh, who do Google me, realise that I did uh, score nothing for Essex, uh, for my only game for Essex first team when we played against Lancashire in Liverpool, a place called uh, uh, Egbert in, in, uh, in Liverpool, many, many years ago, 1962, I think that was. So I didn't, and... um, yes, I didn't really feel it at the time. It was. Lucky to be playing, I guess, with one or two injuries. Um, but the problem that I had was, was really 
messing about between the two sports. That was very detrimental to me uh, over that period of time, mm. being stuck between the two sports. And I think uh, for those that uh, don't know, there's a there's a, another world that might exist where um, Sir Jeff Hurst was a, a first-class cricketer and not perhaps a, a footballer. But um, whether it's business or cricket or, or football, obviously the importance of leadership, it can't be understated, no matter what form that comes in. When you were at West Ham, uh, Jeff, and when um, Ron Greenwood first uh, uh, came along, he made obviously some pretty radical changes was this a man that genuinely inspired confidence uh, the first time you'd meet him? Absolutely. I mean, he, he was simply a, a fantastic uh, coach or teacher, if you like, at, at football. And uh, the, the quite always mentioned when we talk about Ron Greenwood, Harry Redknapp, who was played under him and has been very successful as a player and, and the manager over many, many, many years. He and He's come across many coaches, of course, and managers during his time over years, I guess he would still say that Ron Greenwood is the best coach he had worked with. He'd worked with. So you're very fortunate. I think you think you're lucky when you come across if you have a great teacher at school and a great coach as we had in Ron Greenwood and, of course, a great manager in South Ramsey. So to come across people like that of that calibre can have a huge influence on your your career, of course, and, and then your life. And that's, that's quite purely the case. Absolutely. And in those early days um, at West Ham, uh, with, with a manager like, like uh, Ron uh, there, it's also important to have uh, uh, confidence with your other players. And of course, they become your friends. Who did you look at to at the time uh, when to inspire confidence in yourself? Was it more? Was it Peter's? I think probably, well, I was very fortunate to play with the caliber of the players I did. Again, again, extremely fortunate to play with you know, the captain um, of England and West Ham and Martin Peters, who was a fantastic player. And some, as far as Martin's concerned, I think sometimes he didn't quite get the uh, recognition he deserved and what a wonderful player he was. In terms of inspiring confidence, I always probably say that the biggest influence uh, for me, I guess, would be the captain, Bob Noor. Although he was only... Uh, about eight months older than me, he graduated through the system probably three or four years earlier. He played for England in 62, four years before the final when I played. And so he, he was more, looked upon him more as a senior player, if you like, not as a, a guy in the same age group as me. And I looked at how he, how he uh, trained, how he acted, how he behaved, and how he played. And so he, he would say, I would also say he was a big influence on me. One thing I would say about leadership, uh, what I do, I do understand clearly in all walks of life, leadership is at the top, is absolutely vital for a, a, for a business, a football team, in any walk of life to be successful. And it's quite evident, I was in the motor trade for a long time as well, selling car warranties to car dealerships, and you could almost tell when you walked into the business, uh, in a, many of the car dealerships, you could almost tell from the moment you walked in by initial reaction people came and welcomed you that the business was well run or conversely not well run at all. And so I understand the, the, the value and quality of leadership and that's why I'm very fortunate to, to be involved in my career in those early days with two two great leaders in, in Ron Greenwood and, and Alf Ramsey. Absolutely. And um, 
Uh, since you've already uh, brought him up, uh, Jeff, I think it'd be remiss not to go a little bit further with that. But obviously, uh, after uh, or at West Ham, your uh, plan came to the attention of uh, South Ramsey. Now, there's a man I'm sure when you walked into a room, you knew who was um, in charge. When it came to managing that England team, what was his style like, Jeff? Well, one thing, especially with Seven Ramsey, he's probably over my life the most powerful influence who had on me um, as a person. Um, naturally, it happens to an extent because he's got your whole career in his hand, whether he picks you for England or he doesn't pick you. It can have a great impact on your, <laughs> your career and, of course, your life. But yep. in that era I was involved for six or seven years, he it was quite clear who was the boss. He was quite very, very strict. Probably at a time, maybe overly strict, but at a time you probably wouldn't get necessarily get away with it in, in today's football because it's changed dramatically in how you deal with, with players then and players now. But he was the most powerful man I came across and very few people... And he, he was quite ruthless in getting people out who didn't want to be who didn't want to be part of a group, part of a team. It is important that if you've got a group of people, and that's in any walk of life, they're all singing off the same hymn song, and you don't have anybody that's griping or moaning about the system. And if you've got people like that in the organisation, one thing I have learned, and I've taken it on in my life, and my family, you've got somebody in the group that doesn't want to be part of it, you you get them out. And Alf, I think, was was quite ruthless of that in his, in his staff. And I think that's one thing I, one of the most serious things I think I've learnt over a long period of time. And is there, do you think, uh, a, a specific moment, I'm sure there's probably dozens, but is there a specific moment, if you could uh, perhaps pick right now, that did show those uh, qualities in uh, Sir Alf so uh, sharply? Yes, I think for, for me, certainly... Um, I think there are instances of players who you thought would, would be in the team or certainly in the squad and surprising there were not. There was no necessary reason for it. But looking mm. back, I do think perhaps they were people that Alf didn't think wanted to be part of the group. Um, so that that's that for me. In terms of my personal view, I think that it looked prior to the um, World Cup that I was going to be playing... Um, in it, only a few games before I was I was playing and I played with Jimmy Greaves in the game against Yugoslavia only a couple of months before the final and it looked at that stage as if I was going to be playing in, in the team but in a couple of friendly games more friendly games before the final in Poland and uh, uh, Norway I think in Denmark mm. I didn't I played two of the four games and I probably didn't quite replicate my, my form that I been showing at West Ham and in the early couple of games for England and he, he left me out in the first game of, of the World Cup against uh, Uruguay he started off with Jimmy Green and Roger Hunt. so I, I had an impact of thinking I at that stage I, like I was going to play and didn't start because of just a lack of form I didn't play quite well enough to justify my position and somewhat fortuitously I only got back in the team because of a a nasty gash to shin um, on Jimmy Lee's leg. And I think what you've said there, uh, Jeff, actually does sum that up really well. And more than that, whilst it's important to have that someone in charge with those qualities, it's almost useless if there isn't a strong and unified team behind them. 
And there really must have been moments, maybe there weren't, but uh, let us know in that 66 competition, the prolonged pressure on all of you, you know, the weight of a nation. Did it get to you? Oh, not for me personally, no. I, I think, and I don't, uh, not for me, not for a second. I think mm. I was just happy to be, you know, be involved in the squad initially. Uh, not at all. I didn't, you're not aware of the magnitude of the occasion, really, looking back out. Mm. So I never really felt, people talk about pressure a lot, and it's there, and people, players talk about it, people talk about it in life. I didn't really feel necessarily feel any great pressure, pressure during the time I was there. And what is also important, to say about Alf Ramsey, the people he, he left behind that, that were left in the squad after he moved one or two players out, the squad were uh, a, a bunch of very hard-nosed, professional, uh, top-quality people. And that was, again, the leadership that Alf showed. He, he got people in together that were very, very strong personally. Um, uh, and I think that was part of the success we had. We were a very... I always describe our, our group as hard-nosed professionals. Um, we have some great players, but overall, they were great hard-nosed professional players um, and great quality people who we've kept in contact with, you know, over the years. And Jeff, I've got to ask, and I'm, I'm not making this up, I've genuinely heard that people do ask you whether or not you realise there were people on the pitch at that moment. I imagine you were busy on something else. Well, I... I did some theatre shows last year. They've gone fairly well, and we're going to do a series of uh, theatre shows. In fact, starting this week, over the next uh, two or three months. And uh, at the end of the theatre shows, we have about twenty minutes where we uh, allow the people in the audience to ask questions. And there's—I won't mention both. They're too long to talk about both questions. Um, one, the other one's a really stupid one. It's too long for me to tell you. It's absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> but the, the the other ridiculous question I get asked, did I realise there were people on the pitch? And of course I jokingly say, yes, I was just about to, to shoot to score the goal and I looked round, put my foot on the ball and looked round for a little while and said, oh dear, there are six or seven people running on the pitch. So that's, uh, I've had been asked that once at one of the theatre shows. <laughs> so I joke, make a joke about that and saying, yes, I put my foot on the ball and waited to just have a glance round, you know. Maybe it does prove there are things that, such as stupid questions, really. Um, oh, yeah, there are. There certainly are. I've got another one which I won't bore you with. It won't be too long to tell you. Uh, I was in a Jersey or Channel Line, Jersey or Jersey, two or three mm. years ago, and most stupid, irrelevant questions, absolutely nothing to do with football whatsoever, which uh, was absolutely. But I can use that now because it, it is quite funny. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe another time then. But we. Um, uh, well, you want me, I, I can tell you if you want. You want. You got time. I can tell, I tell you if you want. Jeff, go on. Go. On. I think I'd be, it would be silly if I said no at this point. Okay. So I was uh, doing a, a at a dinner in you know, the Channel Lines, three or four hundred people, black tie dinner, uh, guest of honor. Mm-hmm. And this occasion, I was speaking for about twenty minutes, then allowing uh, questions from the audience at the end of the evening, and there was usual football questions. And then all of a sudden, I heard a, somebody at the back who who asked a question. I didn't quite hear what he said. He didn't have the microphone with him. So I said, I didn't hear what he said. Can you please give mm. this chap the microphone so I can hear clearly what he said? So the chap had the mic and he said, when a turtle loses its shell, is it naked or is it homeless? Right. 
<laughs> what a question. What a question. Uh, well, I think that would be in, definitely in the stupid category, wouldn't it? So we had a laugh about that. Is, uh, well, uh, and we, that you've got to have a patient of a saint, I think, sometimes to put up with <laughs> well, things no, like I that. Just, but I, then again, I found it amusing. I just found it amusing. In fact, some of the audience found it highly amusing as well. So it did, uh, um, it did make then again, laugh that day. If you can put up with my questions, you can probably put up with uh, anything. Um, but th- there would have become a point, though, um, Jeff. I think um, you, you were a young man when see, this happened, when you must have realised that people, teammates, began looking at you for leadership. Um, is that something that occurred to you, or did you just realise that by, by quick, one way or the other, people actually begin to look up for you for inspiration? Well, possibly. That's never really struck me until you've actually mentioned it now, quite frankly. That's a new, a new question. Mm. Does anybody look up to me? I'm sure perhaps uh, there are. There are people who pay you compliments of, of uh, fans of, of West Ham and uh, of Stoke and, of course, in, uh, England fans who... Um, I, I think probably... Yeah, it would be very immodest of me to to suggest I, I felt that somebody was looking to me for inspiration. Um, well, you, but, you don't but, have to, but I will. Uh, well, um, it's, it's okay for a third party to do it. Perhaps, um, perhaps that may have been the case over the years. Uh, people look at you, and um, uh, maybe uh, it has a, a helpful effect. Uh, but I do think you, you, how you behave and set examples on and off the pitches. People must realise that that's, that has an influence. How you react and behave mm. to, to situations on and off the field surely probably has an impact to younger players coming in into the team laterally. Um, yeah, and and with that, looking at um, uh, football today, uh, is there anybody that you think particularly on the field or the sidelines that strikes you as someone with? Um, those qualities that you could identify in a in a natural leader. Um, well, a, a player, current players, you mean? Oh, players, managers, anybody that uh, you look to today, really? Well, I think some of the outstanding. I think the, the, the best example about a, a leader and at the moment is is, is uh, Klopp at Liverpool. Mm. He has been absolutely fantastic to uh, acquire the players and get them to. Their attitude is absolutely fantastic. They're great players, but there's more than just being good players in football. It's a good player with a fantastic attitude and their willingness to work for each other and the team is absolutely outstanding. Hence these unbelievable results. There are, you know, and the great players not always succeed as, as individuals or probably even uh, certainly as a team if you haven't got the right attitude alongside it. And they're probably, and that that comes through the leadership. That's not just luck. Absolutely, that's, that's absolutely leadership. He'd be the best example, of course, in, in football terms today, uh, easily, easily. And of course, but going back not that long ago, Alex Ferguson is just absolutely. Mm. You've got to take him as the first example. But Klopp's only done this for a period of time, a short period of time. But if you look at the twenty-five, twenty-six, twenty-seven years that. Alex Ferguson did with Manchester United, and subsequently since he's gone, how they they are not doing so well. 
he's the best example of management I think we've seen we've probably ever seen and I don't think anybody will see the light of that kind of leadership again it's ast- absolutely astonishing astonishing and do you think could you imagine uh, Sir Alf or even Ron Greenwood managing teams today yes I think so I think yes no, mm. no question at all I think they uh, Ron Greenwood yeah the answer straightforward answer is yes um, they, <laughs> the straightforward answer is yes. I can elaborate as much as you want, but the straight answer is absolutely categorically yes. Uh, and with, um, and I know uh, if we could talk about this probably for the next hour or so, but um, I'm conscious of the um, time. Um, looking um, back uh, through your um, playing career, perhaps especially um, your time uh, for England. Who was it uh, that struck you more than anyone else on the pitch uh, that displayed qualities of not just leadership but uh, companionship and and level headedness that you think that have stuck with you all these years later? Well, I think we were I was very fortunate, and I wouldn't take any one player out. I think looking at so that, many. yeah, so many, and that's why we were successful because we had so many. Um, showing all those qualities that you just mentioned uh, throughout the team, I think that that was outstanding, and uh, uh, and it's an opportunity to talk about uh, all of them in, in that breath. And there was nobody. And going back from an earlier earlier question for me, that um, all hard nosed professionals, good good teammates, mm. good socially, and that's why we kept in touch with each other on our golf days. Every year, uh, up until about five years ago, of course, with, with the uh, sadly dwindling yes. numbers, we we still got on. Our wives got on with, all together. All those years later, it didn't just finish after '66. That reunion, that camaraderie, that team spirit, mm. the, um, uh, getting on with each other, lasted for, for a long, long, long time. And I wouldn't I... when it, when you put those those questions and how you categorise those. I would pick every one of the 11 players um, who you put in that category that were like that. There was nobody else. They were all outstanding. And I think that was a big part. I can't stress how big a part that was. And I've said that many, many times for the success of the team. We had some great players. We had some great players, of course. But without the attitude alongside that, going back to an earlier question, we wouldn't have been as uh, ultimately, ultimately as successful. Exactly. Without that, you, the, the the whole will never be greater than the sum of its parts. But with it, yes, the word, the word is team. the word is t- the word is team. Absolutely. And I always use the word team when I talk. Sometimes, you know, together, everyone achieves more, and that that's the same in any walk of life. That, that's fundamental. And uh, lastly, uh, Jeff, looking if if you were to uh, give advice, and whether this is in sport or business or indeed any other walk of life. What would you identify, if you can, as the key tenant uh, that you can't go without in terms of leading a team, no matter what that team is? Single-mindedness, single-mindedness, dedication, dedication to the job. Um, thinking about that 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 role, that job in leadership all the time. It's a huge part of your life. I don't think you can switch off. When you're in, in business at the top level or sport at the top level, you may, you know, have a, have a couple of weeks holiday, 
but I'm even sure if, if these top managers and lead, leaders in all walks of life are away on holiday on a beach somewhere warm, I'm sure there's not uh, there's, they will not switch off for for two weeks um, and completely uh, not think about their role as the boss of an organisation. And I think that's you completely focus. You're always thinking about uh, things, thinking about improvements. And it's just dedication and uh, uh, tuning your life to being successful. Excellent. Well, Jeff, on that point, thank you very much for joining us today. You're welcome. Very good to nice to have a talk about this and just go over this, go over the past and just uh, refresh my mem- my own memory about the quality of the players I grew up with. Excellent. Uh, another time, uh, it would be great to talk again. Thank, thank you, Jonathan. Thank you. This has been the Leaders' Council podcast. Thank you for celebrating excellence in leadership with us. I've been your host, Scott Challoner. Until next time, goodbye. Thank you for listening to our podcast. The views expressed within the podcast do not reflect the views of the Leaders' Council of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, its parent company or subsidiaries, members of staff, or other guests of any other person therein associated.